Well, hey, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day to all the single moms out there. Uh, Happy Father's Day to any dog owners. I don't know, just it's kind of like man day. I'm not sure exactly, but just happy day to everybody. Um, And just excited we get to be together. My name is Jason. I am the the pastor here at the church and pumped to have a chance today to to be closing out this series called Straight Out of the Old Testament. Um, We've really been, been doing this series for, I guess, the last two months, eight weeks. This is the eighth message in the series where we've just been taking stories out of the Old Testament, what we would consider to be some of the maybe the famous stories or the classic uh, stories of the Bible. And today's message, uh, it applies to everyone. So what, what I'm going to say today applies to everyone. Take it and apply it however it fits your life. But I do want to specifically speak to men today. So, so everyone can apply it, but as I was typing these words, I have to admit that I was thinking about the men in the room, I was thinking about the dads in the room, the husbands in the room, and, uh, and so I think an amazing story, the perfect story, to talk to the dads, the husbands, the men in the room, is the, the story of David. David was, was probably, I guess it could be argued, but David's probably the most famous man in, in the Old Testament. Maybe Moses would have an argument, but, uh, but probably David. And we're going to read, most of what we're going to read today is going to come out of 1 Samuel 17. We're going to do a little bit of 2 Samuel, but mostly out of 1 Samuel uh, 17. There's a Bible underneath the seat in front of you here in South Louisville, uh, there in Shepherdsville, in the, uh, in the seat when you came in. Grab that Bible. Hopefully you got a sermon guide. There's some page numbers on there uh, for you. But we're going to be reading from, uh, from 1 Samuel 17. Now, I don't think it's a stretch to say that all of us want to be successful. I don't think that's a stretch. Now, you can define success however you want, and that's where we would disagree is on our definitions of success, but we would not be able to argue that, that we want it. We want success. Maybe for you, success is a family, you know, uh, how you've imagined it in your head. Maybe success is a lot of money. Maybe success is owning a home or a certain car. Maybe success is a level of notoriety or fame or followers, right? Well, John Eldridge, who wrote the book Wild at Heart, he says that every man needs a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. I love that. Every man needs a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. And I think, even though it's harder to describe and define, I think for most men, success is found somewhere in one of those three areas. Success is found somewhere in the battles we're fighting, the adventures we're living, or the beauties that we're rescuing. And there's something inside of every man that wants to climb to the top of of the mountain. And I don't know what the mountain is necessarily, but whatever it is, you want to reach the top. Now, it it could be the top of the mountain for you could be being like the the world's top-ranked video game player in the world. That may be the top of the mountain for you. I would say I'm not joking, but I am kind of joking a little bit, but hopefully that's not it. But if it is, more power to you. Um, maybe it's to be the richest man in the world. Maybe it's to be the best dad in the world. But there's something ingrained inside of all of us to want to be the champion, right? When we were kids, every toy was a weapon. Come on, guys. When we were kids, every toy was a weapon. I got two, I got two sons right now, and I mean, everything is a weapon. I saw 
uh, uh, Megan Gardner, Pastor Jono's wife, shared an Insta story the other night with his sons that had golf clubs. They were literally hanging from the ceiling fan. Every toy is a weapon. And, and every friend that we're playing with, they're the bad guy or they're the other side. We need to, be defeat, we need to defeat them. When we play sports, we want to win the trophy. Insert the old man joke about how everybody gets a trophy now. But, but it is true that, that when you played, you wanted the trophy. You wanted the team snack and you wanted the trophy. We went to high school. We wanted to get the girl. We started our career. We wanted to get the promotion. There is something inside of all of us that wants to win, wants to be great, wants to be successful, wants people to look at us and feel as if we are successful. So I want to read something to you. You do not have to find this. It's actually on your sermon guide. Uh, It's not the story of David. I want to read this to you before we get to David. It's the words that God said to the first man to ever live. It's in Genesis chapter 3. The first words that God said uh, to, to, to the first man to ever live. After Adam and Eve sinned, God showed up in the garden and he said a few important things uh, to both of them. And what he said to Adam is very important, so important for every, room, every man in the room today. Genesis chapter 3, verses, uh, we'll just start at 17, but this is what it says. God says, after sin to, to the man, it says, and to the man, he said, God said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. This, check this out. This is so cool. Or not cool, but important. The ground is cursed because of you, and all your life you will struggle. In my Bible, I have those three words underlined, you will struggle. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. This is... Uh, Bad news, but it's important news. These words are significant because God is describing what life will feel like for a man now that sin has messed up the world. Now, literally, God is saying, from now on, you got to grow what you eat. Like, I'm not going to provide it. That's literally what he's saying. But symbolically, God is saying to the man, life's going to be hard. It's going to beat you up. You're going to struggle to get everything out of life that you want to get out of it. Here's what God was saying, is that that life's going to be more thorns and thistles than trophies and triumphs. That's what God's saying to Adam. Now, Now hear me. He didn't say that to Eve. He said some things to Eve. You can go read that. It's about childbirth and marriage and all this stuff. He said a separate thing to Eve. But to the man, he said, you will live your life with a feeling of discontentment. You are going to live your life wishing you were more, could accomplish more, be more, enjoy more, gather more, produce more. And the ground, the world, is never going to be able to produce for you what you're looking for it to produce. That's what he said to the man. So let me ask you this question. Has life ever given you something? All the men, but I guess this question goes for everybody. Has life ever given you something that completely satisfied you? Has life ever given you something that completely satisfies you? Has a job or an amount of money or a wife or kids or a car or an office or a trip or a drink ever been so good that you felt like you didn't need anything else? I would be willing to bet no. The answer is no. Because we live in a constant cycle of trying to accomplish something 
or be something, but we also live with a feeling that we're not. We're not enough. We're not doing enough. We need to be more, do, do more. We want to succeed. We want to win. In his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear, the author, talks about the difference between lagging measures and leading measures. And this is so good. I had to share this with you. A lagging measure is a goal or an outcome that is easy to measure because the result is the end of the process. Does that make sense? So, like, for example, when you step on a scale and you weigh yourself, you see the weight there, that is a lagging measure. That is the end, the outcome of what you've eaten or how you've exercised. It's a lagging measure. You don't know the result until later. The balance of your bank account is a lagging measure of the kind of spending or saving habits you have. The kind of relationship you have with your family is a lagging measure. It's the end result of the time that you've invested. And lagging measures are how we typically determine success in our life. For those big, audacious, life-changing goals that we have, we rate it, grade it, judge it, quantify it, and we decide if we're successful. We want to lose 40 pounds in the next six months. We want to save $1,000. We want to fix our marriage. The challenge is that a lagging measure is the end result of your effort. Now, a leading measure is much more difficult to measure because it's input-oriented, okay? And in the moment, the, the thing that you're doing doesn't feel as important as the end goal. Let me give you an example. Uh, if a lagging measure is how much you weigh on a scale, a leading measure is the number of salads you eat at lunch versus a hamburger. Does that make sense, everybody? That's a leading measure, right? Or, or if you eat dessert after dinner. In the moment, it's one decision. It doesn't feel that important. But in the end, it's very important. If a, if a lagging measure is your bank account balance, a leading measure is if you hit the drive through on the way home as opposed to eating leftovers. Or if you buy anything at Target, you know, at that last, like, checkout line sale dollar thing. That was not really a reference for the guys, but you know what I mean, okay? In each individual instance, it's, it doesn't feel drastically important, but our choices add up to our end result. And this is what James Clear says. Now, I love this. He says, don't ask yourself, what do I need to do to accomplish my goal? Ask yourself, who is the type of person who could accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish? This is so good. What type of person loses weight? The kind of person who eats salad for lunch, right? What type of person saves money? The kind of person who doesn't eat out as much. What type of person has a good marriage? The kind of person who doesn't stay late at work. Now, let me read you one more statement from his book. Clear says that don't think about what you want to accomplish. Think about who you want to become. Here it is. Because every action you take is like a vote for the person you want to become. So good. Every leading measure, every choice, every action is like a vote for the person you want it to become. Now, the reason I wanted you to hear that and I wanted to read that is because today as we talk about David, the central figure in the Old Testament, we get to see the lagging measures and the leading measures of David's life. We get to see the outcomes and the individual choices of David's life. David's story spans over two books, and it's, it's from childhood all the way to death. We get the full scope. 
And I don't always give sermons uh, particular titles, but today I, I, I did, and I wanted to. And as we're talking about David, I've titled the message, Goats, Goliath, and a Girl. Goats, Goliath, and, and a Girl, because those three words really kind of describe and sum up David's life. David spent his entire childhood by himself taking care of his father's sheep and goats. He is a shepherd. David became famous and eventually became king by killing the giant Goliath. Bet you know that story. And David's greatest failure was the time that he had an affair with Bathsheba and covered it up with murder. Goats, Goliath, and a girl. The goats describe David's normal life. Goliath describes the greatest success in David's life. And a girl describes greatest, uh, David's greatest failure in life. And so, and so let me tell you why I'm excited to, to share this story of David with all the men in the room and with everybody watching this today. Is because all of us have areas in our life that are normal, areas in our life that are successful, and areas in our life that are failures. Maybe normal looks like getting the kids ready for school, cleaning up the house, going on your weekly grocery run, cooking dinner, giving the kids a bath, going to bed. Maybe normal looks like driving around in your car all day from job site to job site. I loved Pastor Katie's message last week about ordinary choices and extraordinary life, just those normal days, I love that. Maybe success looks like being in charge at work or at the top of a sales list. Maybe it's receiving an award for an accomplishment, but it doesn't have to be a work thing. Maybe success is holding your new baby in your arms or watching your baby walk across the stage at graduation. Success are those high moments in our life. But what about failures? Maybe failures looks like another failed drug test, another stint of rehab, kids who won't talk to you, another lost job, a secret affair, a secret addiction. All of us want to be a success and none of us want to be a failure. The hard part is that success and failure are lagging measures. The normal days are the leading measures. Those are the days that you and I cast votes for the kind of person that we want to become. You all know if you're a success until it's too late to change it if you're not. You won't know if you're a failure until it's too late to change it if you are. Because success and failure are found out after the choices are made. And so today... We get to see David's span of a life, normal days, great days, awful days. And what David experienced in his life is the same things that we're going to experience, and all of us are going to experience these, but for the sake of today, I want to just give you three things that every man listening to this message is going to experience. Three things that every man, husband, dad, fiance, college student, three things that every man 
will experience in this life that God said is going to be a struggle. If you've got your sermon guide, grab that out, and we're going to look at these together. David experienced them. We're going to experience them. And most of this is going to be found in that story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. The first thing that every man will experience the same way that David did is private battles. Private battles. Now, you're probably familiar with this story of David and Goliath. David uh, gets the stones, and he, and he shoots one, and it hits Goliath in the forehead, and, and, and David wins the battle. But there is some dialogue that happens in this story that lets us know what David's private life looks like long before anybody finds out about his public life. It's in verse 34 of chapter 17. David goes to King Saul, says he wants to fight Goliath. And in verse 34, it says, David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. There it is, a little goat action. And he said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. The animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. This is a little insight into what David did before anybody knew who David was. This is a little insight into into David's uh, preparation for Goliath before he knew he would ever meet Goliath. David was taking care of his father's sheep, his goats. He was out there by himself. We know he was out there alone by himself because in another story, Samuel shows up one time to meet all of Jesse's sons, and Jesse doesn't even remember to invite David in. He's son number eight of all the boys. He's forgotten. He's looked over. He's not tall. He's not necessarily handsome. He's not necessarily muscular, but he's got something inside of him that causes him to chase down lions and bears that have stolen one of his goats. And I love this, I love this story, I love this picture, this image, because sometimes we can think that if we ever face a giant, we'll kill him. But you don't really know if you'll have the guts to kill a giant if you don't have the guts to fight some battles in private. Now, there are three words in the verses I just read to you, that if you have a Bible, underline it. If not, just write it on your notes. But David said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from this flock, I, here's the three words, go after it. I go after it. I wanna ask you this question. What private battles in your life right now, sir, are you not chasing down? What private battles in your life are you not going after? After. Maybe you did 20 years ago, but you're not anymore. Maybe you did, you know, three months ago, but you're not anymore. There was a time in your life where you decided this is not who I want to be. These are not the secrets I want to have. These are not the things that I want to struggle with, but you've given in and you've stopped going after it. David knew that he could kill that giant. Because even though this was the biggest giant he had ever faced, he had also faced all of his other battles in his life. It's easy to think sometimes that 
our public life is what matters the most about us. And there are some seasons where we can fake people out, people who know us based on what we do. They don't know who we are. They can admire us and love us. We can fake people out, but hear me. Your private life will always leak out into your public life. Let me say it this way. You will become the person you're acting like. You're going to eventually become the person that you're acting like. David, before anybody knew he was a warrior, was acting like a warrior. David, before anybody knew he was brave, was acting brave. It was private battles. So, so what private battles are you needing to face in your life? What private battles are you needing to go after? Because I can promise you this, sir, every man, every person, like David, will face private battles. Let me give you another one. Second thing every man will experience. First one's private battles. Number two is public success. There are going to be days in your life where you win. There are going to be moments in your life where you are praised or bragged on or get the promotion or get the raise or get the girl or whatever it is. You're going to have public success. And this is the most famous part of the story we know. Look at verse 48 in 1 Samuel 17. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. This is the moment. This is the payoff. This is the climax. This is it. David, the warrior, they start writing songs about David, about how he kills 10,000 men at a time. Everybody loves him. Everybody knows who he is. Public success. Public success. But I want you to notice the words that we just read in verses 48 and 49. If you've got this, I want you to underline it or write this down on your notes. Look at it. It says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly, here's the phrase, ran out to meet him. Now we know in David's private life that he went after the animals. We know that in David's public life, he ran out to meet the challenges that would face him. And so I just want to take this moment right here to challenge every guy in the room, every person in the room, is that success is not going to fall in your lap. God's blessing is not just going to fall in your lap. As you look at your life, as you look at your career, as you look at the way you're providing for your family, as you look at, you know, what you've accomplished, are you going after it? Are you running out to meet it? Are you getting out of bed every day saying, let's go kill a giant today? Because you got to go after it. David had this attitude. He had something about him that said, you know what? I'm going to chase it down. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go after it. Nothing's going to be given to me. Nothing's going to be handed down to me. If I want to, if I want to do it, I got to go kill it. I got to go do it. I got to go be it. And so David experienced private battles. So will we. The good news is David experienced public success, and we will too. If you're in a season right now where you feel like you won't, you will. Hang in there. Stay committed. Stay faithful. You will. I want to give you one more The third thing that every man will experience that David experienced, not only was it private battles, not only was it public success, let me give you one more, number three. David experienced personal failure. Personal failure. 
He fought private battles. He had public success, but David experienced personal failure. This is the girl part. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, tells us the story of how it started with Bathsheba. And we don't have time to read the whole story, but I want to just read this little section to you. It's the very beginning of the story. It says, in the spring of the year when kings normally, here's this phrase, go out to war. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. However, if you have a Bible, you can underline this. If not, just write it down in your notes. David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Isn't this so interesting? We saw that when David had a lion or a bear attack his goats, the Bible says that he would go after it. We saw that when Goliath was taunting the enemy, the Bible says that David went out to get him. But now we see that there was this time when kings were supposed to go out to war. And David said, no, I'm going to stay behind. I'm going to stay behind. The way the story ends is not good. He stays behind. He's home by himself. He goes up on his roof. He sees this attractive person bathing. He calls her over. Nobody turns down the king. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Tries to cover it up. He kills her husband. He marries her. God confronts him about it, and, and here, here's what I want you to know today. This is not a message about you're a failure because you've had a personal failure. The best news of this story is that just because you fail and have moments where you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. Your mistakes don't have to define you because God, through a man, shows up and says, I forgive you. There are going to be some consequences for your decisions, of course, because of the dominoes that are falling, but in my eyes, you're forgiven, in my eyes, I love you. And David uh, marries Bathsheba. They have more children together. Solomon's one of those kids, by the way. God blessed their next child. And so if you're here today and maybe you are in the middle of a personal failure, maybe, maybe it's a private failure, maybe nobody knows about it yet, but maybe some people around you do. Maybe you can't face your wife. Maybe you can't face your boss, your friends. You're experiencing some failure. If it's private, here's what I want you to know. You'll never get clean until you come clean. You'll never get clean until you come clean. But if it's personal, I want you to know this. Just because you failed don't mean you're a failure. And if you will go after it, if you will go out and fight, if you'll chase it down instead of staying behind, God will use your life in an amazing way. He said, well, I want to be a success. You, you, you can't choose the day that will be your greatest day ever. He said, well, I don't ever want to be a failure. Well, guess what? You can't choose the day that will be your worst day ever. You don't get to do that. It's not the way that it works. But you do get to choose what you do every day. You do get to choose what you do every day. I want to end by telling you this story. Um, I keep journals. I have about seven of them, six of them over the last few years uh, that I, uh, Pastor Katie mentioned a book, Divine Mentor, last week, and that was a book that we all kind of loved, and, and they talk about keeping a prayer journal and a devotion journal, so I started doing that, and uh, it's not all devotions. Sometimes it's, um, you know, just thoughts and things like that, but last year, maybe it was because I was getting ready to turn 35, I don't know, but there was something in me that really wanted to kind of look out 
kind of think a little bit. And so I, I took a couple of pages in my journal, and I, uh, I wrote down at the top, I have it titled, 10-Year Vision for My Life. 10-Year Vision for My Life. And, uh, and, and I, so I wrote down on my paper, and I would encourage every guy in the room to do this, every person in the room to do this, especially the guys in the room because we're talking about success. And on this paper, I have it right here. I wrote down 45-year-old Jason, 45-year-old Jason, and underneath there I wrote this. Sadie will be 20 and a junior in college. Nora will be 17 and a junior in high school. She's going to be running the school, I'm pretty sure. Solomon will be 14 and a freshman in high school. Zeke will be 12 in middle school. And then I just started asking myself some questions about the person I wanted to be at 45. What will my physical health be? How much will I weigh? Will I be a burden to my family? What will my finances look like? Will I be debt-free? Will I be giving more than 10%? Here's a question. Will I be able to pay for two weddings, three cars, and college tuition? I wrote down some things about leadership because of my job. What will my team look like? How long will my team have been with me? Will the people who know me the best respect me the most? What will my family look like? Will me and my kids be closer? Will they know how to spend time with God? Will they love the church? Will my, will my wife respect me and like me, be into me? And so I wrote down these questions, but I knew that wasn't enough. And so I took one more page and I wrote down some actions that I needed. I want Andrea to respect me and really like being around me and want to, you know, be with me. You know what I mean? Right? Okay. And so what all does that require? What, what type of people have those types of marriages? People who regularly go to counseling, go out on dates, take care of their body? If I want my kids to love Jesus and love the church and love and want to spend time with me, that's going to require consistent family devotions, family prayer, scaled down tech time in the house, one-on-one -on -one time with the kids. I want friends I can measure in decades who know that I care about them and respect them, and they respect me more than the people that I preach to. Well, that means that I gotta say yes more to my friends instead of saying no, I don't want to. That means I gotta communicate my feelings and emotions more. Say things like, I care about you, I love you. We need to pray together. If I wanna be a leader that doesn't fall away, I gotta, I gotta be disciplined more in the early mornings, organization, prayer and fasting and time with God. I wanted to share that with you because I want to challenge every person in the room but every man in the room to do that exercise. To get out a piece of paper and say, what kind of person do I want to be? What, what kind of man do I want to be? And if you will go after it, I believe God will exceed your expectations. But if you decide to lay back and stay behind, unfortunately, I think what you're going to find is that there's going to be more struggle and failure than there are successes and wins and victories. I believe that every man who's listening to this right now, every person who's listening to this right now can be a mighty man, can live an adventure, can win battles. I believe that. But you've got to want to. And you've got to decide the type of person that you want to be. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you love us how we are. Thank you so much, God, that our failures don't have to define our whole lives. But God, I, I pray right now for every, every man who's listening to this, 
that there would be something inside of them that would be dissatisfied with the status quo, that would be dissatisfied with a, a life of mediocrity or settling in their home with their kids at their job, spiritual life, romantic life. That God, we would decide that we want to go after it. We want to go after it. We want to chase down and win the private battles. We want to experience the public success. And God, we want to avoid personal failures. God, I believe you'll help us. You'll help us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.